EST is sponsored by Pastor Talk by Lifeway. Join host Marty Dern as he interviews pastors, professors, authors, and other ministry practitioners. Pastor Talk gives you tools and encouragement to shepherd your flock well. Subscribe to Pastor Talk in iTunes or your favorite podcatcher or listen online at lifewaypastors.com. Hi, and welcome to EST. If you love the established church, this is the place to have conversations about why the established church matters, how to better serve her, and to hear stories every week about how God is using the church for His glory and our good. The show is hosted each week by Sam Rayner, Josh King, and Micah Fries. We're glad you're here. Hey, and welcome to this week's episode of EST. This is Micah Fries, and I am here with uh, special guest Dayton Hartman. We're so glad to have Dayton on the show with us. Dayton, welcome today. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, man, we're excited about this. Dayton is lead pastor at Redeemer Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. He has a PhD in church and dogma history from Northwest University in South Africa. Now, Dayton, this is kind of cool. I think uh, about a year ago this month, I was in South Africa, actually saw some of the campus of Northwest University. And uh, I have a good friend who's a professor in Johannesburg who teaches at Northwest University on occasion as well. Oh, nice. That's awesome. Yeah, man. So anyway, I'm guessing there's not a whole lot of people you hang out with in the U.S. who have uh, have seen your alma mater <laughs> in person. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're one of the, the, the few, man. So that's no cool. Exceptions. Did you actually travel down there to walk when you uh, when you graduated with the Ph.D.? I did not. No, yeah. they they uh, allowed me to get. I could have gone to London. They hold a uh, also a graduation in London for okay. U.S. students. But yeah. I did not. Yeah, I was curious about kids. that. Oh, Too many listen, small man. kids in the house. Yeah. I understand that completely. Dayton, yeah. uh, beyond being a, a pastor, he also serves as an adjunct professor at Southeastern Seminary, and uh, who happens to be a sponsor of the show. So we'll get that plug in there. And then Columbia International University, and also has written another book, Church History for Modern Ministry: Why Our Past Matters for Everything We Do. We're going to talk today, though, about a new book that you have out with Lexham Press, um, talking about pastors and the way pastors um, view themselves, view the church. The, book, the title of the book is Lies Pastor, uh, Pastors Believe, Seven Ways to Elevate Yourself, Subvert the Gospel, and Undermine the Church. It's an intriguing, uh, it's an intriguing concept, Dayton, and I think, in my opinion, uh, a book that's pretty significant in, in thinking through the psyche of pastors and how they engage churches and how that impacts the way they uh, serve the church and view themselves and longevity and so many other things as well. So talk to us just a little bit about the book. Uh, what sort of compelled you to write the book in the first place? Well, I entered ministry at a really, really young age. Uh, I went into student ministry at, at 19, which was just crazy young. Um, and and immediately I uh, I experienced a whole lot of, of self-delusion <laughs> and, and realized that I, I, as I started to grow and mature a little bit, that, that I was, I was believing things about myself that were not true. And, and I continued to serve in ministry while I was in uh, undergrad and, and then during seminary. And it really, during my seminary years, I started to notice the lies that other seminary students were believing. Uh, I was not as aware of, of the lies that I was believing, but as I saw things other guys in seminary were saying about themselves, assuming to be true about themselves. I mean, that's, that's whack. That's, that's not real. You're, you are deluded. And, um, and I really went into like this period of kind of, uh, soul searching. Like, am I believing this stuff that I see other? And I realized I was believing all the same lies. Just it was the, the, uh, the trappings were a little different. And, and, and then when I, um, 
graduated from seminary and uh, eventually started teaching in, in seminary and, and mentoring church planters and, and, and investing in other pastors, I realized that these, these same kind of groupings of lies are believed by so many guys throughout their, their, particularly their early ministry years. And, uh, so I, I, I felt like, man, I wish somebody would have written all these down and handed them to me at 19, 20, 21, 22 and said, now just be aware. You're going to believe all these things about <laughs> yourself, about your ministry, about your significance. Stop it. And so that, that really, uh, led me to, uh, come up with a list, which was actually a pretty massive list. Uh, but we whittled it down to, to seven kind of common lies that I, I've seen in my own life, my own ministry. Uh, I've seen a lot of seminary students battle and, and then guys in their, their first few years of ministry. And so that gave rise to the book. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I've been making the argument for a while, Dayton, that um, that every person, I like to say every person on the planet has daddy issues. By that, I mean every person on the planet has baggage, <laughs> right? Like that's the reality. Uh, at our church, we we yeah. say regularly, every one of us here has our own little brand of crazy. Some of us just hide it better than others. And... Uh, and so that's who we all are. And everybody on the planet tries to self-medicate, right? And so the people in the pews, that's they right. self-medicate with food or sex, porn, um, drugs, alcohol. I mean, there's a, work, family can be a self-medication. There's so many ways we can do that. Pastors self-medicate yeah. with ministry, right? So we've got our own sort of neurosis. And uh, we don't realize that what we can sometimes think of as us working hard and be, trying to be good pastors can actually be us trying to satisfy emotional trauma or emotional needs in our own life and the way it then works itself out in an unhealthy manner in our ministry and be damaging both to us and the people we serve. Let's talk to us about some of the lies. You list these seven lies. I'm just going to walk through the lies real quickly. You've got the, the visionary. Jesus has called me to lead a movement. The iron chef. No one has ever fed me, uh, fed them like me. The achiever. Jesus loves me. This I earn the called. I'm called to be a pastor. The holy man. My perceived holiness is more important than my pursuit of holiness. The anti-family man, I must sacrifice my home life for my ministry life. And the castaway, I'm the only one on this island. What was uh, What's one in particular that stands out to you as one that sort of is consistently hitting home with pastors, church leaders that you see, and, and causes particular damage to their own walk with Christ and the churches they serve? The the lie of that we have to achieve. Uh, I know that was the, that loomed large in my life, and I consistently hear that from pastors uh, that that they feel like they have to make up for something from their past, or or they come to this realization, uh, like I did very early on, that some of my pursuit of ministry really was uh, trying to earn something I already had in right. Christ. Try, trying to earn what I thought would be more approval. God would be, have, you know, more, more of God's love and, and, you know, you want to use the language of favor right. in my life. If I'm right. serving him and, and it would put me into some other spiritual plane and just all these ridiculous things and so right. anti gospel. Um, and, and, and for me, it really was just what, what you kind of hit. It, 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 it was me trying to make up for some mm -hmm. emotional baggage, uh, it, that I was, Hard to please people in my life, hard to impress people in my life, you know, different parts of my family having not the greatest reputation, me trying to make up for all that. Um, I'm going to achieve something. Pastoral ministry is respectable. And, and I was kind of transposing all of that onto Christ and, and really getting myself into this rat race of not seeing myself or the gospel, uh, Christ correctly. And, and I've heard that from so many guys that when they actually step back and think about their motivations for pastoral ministry, 
Um, and I have no statistical information on it, but just anecdotal uh, evidence uh, of just conversations with guys who realize they're, they're trying to please yeah. their, their hard to please dad. Um, and they That's put right. that on, on God, the father or uh, really sinful uh, period of life that they came out of and Christ wrecked them with the gospel. And it was wonderful, but now they feel like they need to make up for it. And the only way to make up for it is going into the ministry or being a missionary. And it's just like, man, that's, that is the opposite of what the gospel teaches us. And so, so that's one that's just been consistent across the board. And that's actually the, kind of the, the first lie that gave, that pushed me to want to write this is, is man, that, yeah. that really jacked me up and I'm seeing how many guys it's messed up. And, and there's just so much freedom in the gospel. We, we don't have to, have to feel like we, we don't have to earn anything. So, uh, we, yeah, we've I think, got to do away. I, so, with the, this was one that sort of hits home with me as well, Dayton. I, um, I remember a couple of a series of a couple of events that sort of grabbed my heart and and sort of helped help me understand. First of all, that this was a lie that I was believing, and second of all, that there were biblical and theological arguments for why I shouldn't believe the lie. First was grappling with the text. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and recognizing yeah. you know recognizing yeah. that God's affirmation of me is rooted in Jesus's sacrifice on my behalf, not on anything I do or don't do. So, and I remember listening to David Platt preach a while back and David said, imagine the best day of your life. You wake up early before the alarm goes off. You get breakfast. You have a great quiet time. You get to work early. You work hard. You leave on time. You pick up your kids. You have a wonderful evening at home. You eat dinner. You have fun and you go to bed. And then imagine that versus the next day, the worst day of your life. You sleep in, you burn your breakfast, you burn your toast. You don't have time for your quiet time. You get to work late, you do a poor job, you get home, your kids are yelling at each other, your wife's frustrated, and you go to bed. And and now understand that God's value or God's desire for you and God's love for you is identical in both of those days. And I remember him saying that, and that just hitting me like yeah. a ton of bricks, right? between Because I, I grew up thinking that I had to be a good Christian to make God happy. And, uh, and, and the better, and, and as a pastor, yep. like you just said, man, what a better platform for me to be a good Christian than be a really good preacher and be a good pastor and have people tell me that I'm a good preacher and a good pastor. And so much of my self-worth was built up in that concept of what it meant to make God happy and, and have God pleased with me. And, and, you know, many of us in evangelicalism, we would condemn prosperity gospel, prosperity preachers. But the truth of the matter is we kind of believe prosperity gospel mm -hmm. light. You know, you scratch God's back and he'll scratch your <laughs> back, right? Like you do good for God and he's going to do good for you. Right. It's really no different than name it and claim it. It's a little softened, but it's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's, that's encouraging. I'm, I'm glad, right. I'm glad that you've tackled that one and I'm glad, um, I'm glad that you're walking through these. Another one that stood out to me, Dayton, was the holy man, the lie of the holy man that our perceived holiness is more important than my pursuit of holiness, particularly, um, in, in any yeah. sort of anybody who's listening, who's a pastor, church leader, who pastors in an environment where, um, it's got a sort of a church culture and they've been in church for a long time. There's this perception that we have to be a better Christian than we, maybe we actually are. Walk us through kind of how, walk us through how you got through <laughs> that and how you thought theologically about, you know, debunking that lie. Yeah. It, the, one of the pastors I really admired, uh, in my young adult years, it, as I got to know him and got closer and closer to him, I, I got a little frustrated because I, I never heard him talk about his own battles with sin. I thought, man, like I must, <laughs> I must be faking it because I'm constantly at war with sin. And it's like, this guy never sins. And 
I, we ended up having some pretty frank conversations down the road of our relationship where, where he, he kind of opened up about us. I was like, man, why, why don't you ever talk about this on Sundays? Why, why does this never come out? And, and some of the stuff he, he told me for his motivation not to do that just, just really, it really struck me that he said, these people don't want to know about my sin struggles. They, they want me to be a guy who sins less than them, who doesn't have the battle to cause and, and, and I thought of that to the language you just used, just kind of like right. churchianity culture. There is this assumption that, that pastors are somehow a different cut of, of, of Christian. That, I mean, we, we've conquered everything. We, we are, um, we're not just under shepherds, man. We're real close to being the chief shepherd. You know, he's, he's right. just a little holier than we are. And it's just, it's just bogus. And, uh, so what, what I really, wrestled with at a theological level was just seeing how often the apostle Paul, who's the ultimate church planter, um, just talk about his own battles with sin and, and the, the things he hates that he, that, that he, he does, but he hates them. And, and how often he was open with, with the people under his care, uh, in his letters, just, just with the war he has inside of himself. And, um, and, I thought, well, who better to model after, aside from Christ himself, but the Apostle Paul, particularly in pastoral ministry. And so I, I know one of the things we've pursued in the life of our church, our elders and leadership team, is, is just to be really open uh, with the fact that we sin. And when something comes up in the text, and instead of saying, now, y'all y'all shouldn't, y'all need to put this into death, but but to say, man, I, I've been working to put this into death, and it's a battle. I, I get it. I'm with you. This is, this is hard. Um and and it's really opened up at doors for conversation for a lot more confession of sin, particularly in our our congregation. Mm-hmm. We've seen just a lot lot more openness on um, dragging things out into the light so that we can um, enact uh, gospel fueled mob <laughs> violence against sin right. and put it to death together. <laughs> um, and, and and that's something that we we talk about a lot, and it's taken a lot of pressure off me as a pastor to to pretend to be something I'm not, which is you know sinless and perfect, and I've got all my sin put to death as as much as I'm laboring to put all of my sin to death. Um, I'm not there yet, and 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 I I think if pastors can take hold of the fact that it's far better for your congregation to know, yeah, you're you're making headway, but you're battling some of the same things they're battling day in and day out be honest about your victories and honest about your failures, it'll create a culture of, of more openness uh, in the pursuit of putting sin to death and then be a, a mutually, for the community, a mutually encouraging push towards holiness. And so instead of pretending that we're something that we're not, I think being more honest about our pursuit of holiness is far healthier for our spiritual state and for our churches than this um, pretend, fake, feigned, I've got it all together holiness that often we feel pressured to put out there. Um, it's just not good for us. It's not good for our churches. It's really bad for our families because they know better. And so they, they particularly our children, right. can view uh, daddy as a hypocrite because on Sundays he's pretending to be a holy man when they know who you really are, you know, Monday through Saturday. So yeah, and I think, I think it's just not good for a really good point that we have this idea in our mind. Um, if we have this idea, if we have this high standard of holiness, you you know, that, that is, is not true, but is perceived that that's going to inspire our people to holiness. Uh, when the truth of the matter is we don't realize what it does is it creates, um, 
unnecessary pressure and ultimately leads our people to bail out. They just, instead of looking at the mm-hmm. pastor and saying, oh, I want to be like that, they look at the pastor and say, oh, I could never be like that. And it pushes them away from holiness rather than encouraging That's them. That's exactly to right. So, I, yeah, it, it's, it's devastating to the church. Exactly. And, and uh, as you said, it's devastating to the pastor. And I, I mean, it just sucks the life out of their family. Uh, let's talk about um, mm. the idea, the Iron Chef. No one has ever fed them like me. Uh, I, I'm actually working on a book right now that, that's <laughs> going to touch on this topic just a little bit, the super pastor syndrome. And I talk about in the, yeah, I talk about in the book how we, um, <laughs> you know, we, we like for people who come up to us and say, pastor, nobody's ever preached the word to me like you do, you know, and we have this, this psyche issue oh, that yeah. when we hear that it's, it's like, we've been affirmed for the first time in our life. You have value, you matter. How did you how did you get to this point where yeah, you recognized yeah, this yeah. particular lie and how do you combat it with the text? Yeah, it, it's interesting. Um I I loved it, man. Early in ministry when people would come up and a lot of them had really good motivations to just try to encourage right. me, oh, that was the best sermon I've ever heard. Some of them it was actually, you know, they were there were agendas to to try and position different pastors against each other that are on the preaching rotation. Like, I love your preaching, <laughs> but you're way better than this guy. And it's, um, there are all sorts of motivations across the board, but my, you know, my flesh loved it. Right. Uh, I, I right. loved hearing that. And, and uh, to your point, I felt so affirmed and yeah, I matter and I'm accomplishing something. And the whole achievement syndrome just kicks in with that. And it, and it really was, is I, I dove more into the scriptures and just seeing, I mean, it really is, it's, we're just messengers of a truth that has not changed. And, 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 um, we give, uh, a voice to the text, which is, is the good news of the gospel. And, and that's ultimately the power of God into salvation. It's not, it's not in me. It's not in you. It's not in anybody who preaches the scriptures. And, and as I looked throughout in particular church history, just seeing, man, uh, all of these guys in, in church, his early church, I mean, Augustine and John Chrysostom and, and others. I'm like, man, if I just, if I stood up and read their sermons without any emotion yeah. and a monotone <laughs> right. voice, it's better than anything I've ever preached. And that, that, that I, I'm just doing something that guys have done for 2000 years and, and it's nothing unique. It's nothing special. And it really hit me. And the reason we titled the chapter of the Iron Chef, it hit me with that old Food Network TV show. Where everybody gets the same kind of weird ingredients and it just all comes down to the presentation on whether the judges like the way that you made, you know, squid pudding or, or the person next to you made, you know, a, a, a nice record, omelet or whatever it record, is. There have been like a lot of weeks when my sermon has been very similar to squid pudding. So just, just to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you, man. I'm with you. Um, it, it, it just, it was like, man, all these people. What's the difference? These are all good chefs. They know what they're doing. Um, one judge might like one entree more than the other just because of presentation. And so pastors are all working with the exact same ingredients. We've got the, the inspired and errant infallible scriptures that we're preaching with, you know, the good news of Jesus in our place for salvation. And, and the only really distinctions between us are, are some of how we present right. it, how, how we lay the ingredients on, you know, the plate, so to speak based on the way God has wired us for communication. And and that's a good thing that we, that we maybe garnish the plates differently, but we're all doing the same thing. And, and the it's not 
the power is not in how we garnish the plate or how we present the meal. It, it's in it's in the ingredients, which all come from the scriptures, all inspired by the Holy Spirit. And and, <laughs> and so we've we're none of us are as good of preachers as we think we are, and that's just a blunt reality. And um, and I tell guys on, on our team and, and seminary students all the time, you, you are not nearly as good of a communicator as you think you that's are. Right. And one day you're going to realize that and it's going to be the most freeing thing. Just knowing that the power comes from the scriptures, it comes from the spirit moving among God's people and um, among the lost that come in our midst. It is encouraging. Um, it's a very free. So let's thing let's to, talk to for just a few minutes, um, kind of turning our attention a little bit to uh, obviously if 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 there are pastors, church leaders out there, they're listening to this and they're thinking, "Wow, these are some of the things that I grapple with." Uh, that's good news. It's healthy for them, and and it'll lead them to uh, lead them to to church health uh, and personal health, but. Beyond buying the book, what are some things that pastors can do? And we're going to we're going to give them options for how they can buy the book. Mm -hmm. And we'll put that in the, in the show notes and that sort of thing. But beyond just buying the book, what are some day to day things we can do to push past these lies and to live in a way that is consistent uh, with a biblical ethic uh, to have healthy, you know, healthy ministries? Mm. Man, a few just really practical things that have been good for my soul. Um, and, and I've seen effective in, in other pastors' lives is is being in biblical community, being in gospel-driven community, being in relationship with other brothers who who you trust to speak truth into your life, even when it's hard to hear. It, it's amazing to me how many pastors just simply do not have that um, anywhere in their life, not in, in the church they serve, not on their leadership team, not, not with pastors in the, the community where they're at, uh, uh, the city they're in. I mean, we, we've got to have it. We need it desperately. So, so we need brothers who are alongside of us, who, who know us for who we really are, not just for the guy who stands behind the pulpit on Sunday, right. which I hope is, is an actual representation of who you really are. But if it's, if it's, if it's not, you need people who are behind the veil, who really see you and know you. Um, that's one healthy rhythm is just to have a, a men in your life you're confessing sin to. And, and you've invited to ask hard questions and press back against your leadership when it's potentially sinfully motivated uh, actions you're taking or inaction. Um, is, secondly, we've got to be regularly preaching the gospel to our own souls, which I know is almost cliche. We say that all the time. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves. Right. But, but I think it's become so cliche, we just don't do it. It's become assumed. Um, and, and that's got to be something that we remind ourselves of every single day. My, my only hope is Jesus in my place. My standing before the Father is Jesus in my place. My righteousness is Jesus in my place. And it's, it's freeing and it frees you from the need to chase all of these, these lies that right. we prop up as really kind of like virtues to be achieved, um, when they're really just, they're just lies. Um, and, and then I think, I think lastly, uh, for, for pastors who are married, uh, who, who maybe have children, <sighs> reprioritizing, pursuing our shepherding, our family as our primary, uh, you want to use the language of calling our primary calling is, is to shepherd our family, um, our wives, our children first. When we reprioritize that, because I mean, that, right. that's the beginning right. of biblical qualifications of an elder. It's all about your family life. And so reprioritizing that is, okay, that's my first calling before, before God is how do I shepherd my, my, my wife? How do I shepherd my children? And when you reprioritize that, um, 
that, that does a whole lot for, for humbling you because there's no one going to give you more trouble that you're shepherding than your own children. Um, and, and no one's going to ask you harder questions than, than probably your wife. And it's a very humbling thing. And, and it helps, I think, reorient where our energies ought to be and not, ought not be. And, and it, which helps prevent us from, from sliding into some of these lies. So biblical community, preaching the gospel to yourself, and, and then regaining a vision for ministering to your family um, as a primary importance. I think all of those things are just helpful, practical things anybody can do, whether they read the book or not. To So let's uh, talk to, for to just really a minute about the biblical community thing. This is truth. important to me. It's it's, And, and I think what makes it intriguing, uh, I think most of the people listening today who are pastors or church leaders would think, yeah, I know I need to preach the gospel to myself. I think most of them would think, yes, I need to take care of my family. I need to lead my family. I need to be a good family member. My family can see right through, you know, hypocrisy. I think they would agree on those points. The community piece is the one mm -hmm. that I feel like is often absent um, just from our theology and uh, and even our hermeneutic. And yeah. uh, I would argue that that that's partly rooted in a Western worldview, mm. a very individualistic culture and society. You know, you think about it, the ultimate example of yeah. uh, spiritual pursuit in our culture is the daily quiet time, which um, if you want to try and make an exegetical case for the daily quiet time, you're going to have a really hard time doing <laughs> yeah. so. I mean, there's, it's just a lot. It's a weak, it's a weak. Again, I, hear me. That's don't right. anybody right. think Mike is saying don't spend time with Jesus in the word and, you know, in prayer every day. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying when we make that the ultimate example of spiritual growth, when there's very little biblical support for it, there's, you know, that's a weak argument to be made. However, there's yeah. massive biblical argument for God sanctifying us in and through community. In fact, I would argue that's almost exclusively the way the New Testament church was shaped. And yet we, um, we live in a culture yeah. Yeah. where pastors are told you can't be friends with people in your congregation. I think that's... A, powerful life from Satan that leads to burnout and early yeah. abandonment of the ministry. Yeah. Uh, not to mention leaves your family on an Island, uh, isolated and, and frustrated. And, uh, and then, and we're told pastors, anytime pastors are involved in anything that they do at the church, they're in charge, they're leading. I think, I think there's an argument to be made Dayton going back to your community point that right. number one, if you're not friends with your people in your church, you can't be best friends with all of them. But if you're not friends with people in your church, you're not, you're not serving well. Um, you need to be in a relationship with them. And secondly, if you're not sitting under some teaching yeah. somewhere in your church, you've set yourself up again as the it, it, one of the lies that you've talked about, multiple of the lies that you've talked about in the book hit on this, set yourself up as a sort of other than the rest of the congregation. So I would encourage pastors just to ask, who are we in good relationship with? Who are we friends yeah. with in our congregation? Uh, do we have friends in our congregation? And are we ever sitting under Bible teaching? Bible study where we're not in charge, where somebody else is able to speak and we're in a position of submission under their authority and, yeah. and uh, wisdom and teaching. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's been one of the healthiest things for, for my family, uh, for my own yeah, soul, we is, yeah. is we have a preaching rotation. Uh, I know you guys do, do there as well. Um, it, it's so healthy. I love sitting under the preaching of, of my brothers, mm -hmm. uh, and, and, it, and, and it helps our congregation see Dayton's not the guru. He's, he's just one of the under shepherds, um, and and even in our our relationships with people in, in our congregation, man, our best friends are are in in the church body that we serve, and um and it's it's freeing to our family, it's it's freeing to me. They're not and they're not all the same. Not all the guys that I'm really close to in the congregation are are you know theology nerds or church history nerds. Some of them 
uh, and they'll read the Bible, but don't ask me to read a different book. Like, like that's the thing I'm going to read and nothing else that, you know, they're not going right. to uh, want to go peruse old used bookstores with me or anything like that. Um, but we, we go play sports together. We watch games together. We build things together. And, um, and it, there are men that I know that I, that will call me out for sin, will, will speak into my life and I can speak into their life. And, and then even, I think, I think you really hit it well. You've got to be in some ministry in the church where you're not in charge, where you're just, you're, you're part of the congregation participating in the ministry. And for me, um, one of the best things, right. uh, practically speaking has been in our small group ministry in, in our church. Uh, right now, right now I, I co-lead a group. Um, but historically right. I've, I've not led a group. I'm, I'm a member in one of our, what we call life groups. And, uh, that's, and we, we're, our goal is to get back to that, uh, to where we, slowly take our hands off of leading a group and we're back to um, being just part of the group. And, and, and that's good for the church to see. And it's good for our own souls. Yeah. That's, um, I, I think you hit it. on one of my favorite it. arguments that uh, we, pastors be ought to, to be in a life group, community group, small group, Sunday school, if at all possible, where they're not teaching and leading. And I've been like you, there've been times when I did lead or teach, but it was with the express purpose of getting to the place where I was training someone to replace me so that I wouldn't be, you know, teaching or, or, or leading or something of that sort. But it's uh, it's not it's not always easy to get there. But yeah. yeah, anyway, I'm I'm with you there. It's such an easy, simple way to place ourselves under the authority of someone else who can walk through it. Well, man, I appreciate you being with us this week. It's been helpful and encouraging. We want to encourage people to go pick up the books: Lies Pastors Believe, Seven Ways to Elevate Yourself, Subvert the Gospel, and Undermine the Church by Dayton Hartman. Dayton again is the lead pastor at Redeemer Church in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina. Dayton, have I ever told you that my wife's uh, maiden name is Hartman? Yeah, yeah, she's a Hartman. Yeah, we'll we'll have to talk. Spelled exactly like yours oh, really? as well. No, I so did not know that. We'll have to talk about that some other time. But anyway, thanks again for being with us this week, man. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. You've been listening to EST, a discussion for the established church. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, as well as subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcatcher. Thanks for listening. Support for EST is provided by Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. The mission at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. The school is located in Wake Forest, North Carolina, and offers more than 40 different degree programs ranging from Associate of Divinity to Doctor of Philosophy. With more than 3,400 students enrolled, Southeastern trains future and current ministry leaders to lead effectively, study the word diligently, and preach the gospel unashamedly. Learn more about Southeastern by visiting www.sebts.edu. And come check out our campus to see how you can join the Southeastern family and learn how to go to reach your community, your nation, and your world. Wherever you're going, Southeastern will help you get there.